the banks of the Great River, high above the Allure Gorge. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Indie music, new releases, industry insiders, out-of-the-box conversations with guests from the true north, from the west coast to the east coast, to across the pond, and from down under. And now, here is Shay. Hey, y'all. I am Shay. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Independent music releases, global coverage, on-air indie. From iPad to yours, over the airwaves. Welcome and enjoy. The top four episodes of Season 1 air this week. These are the top four of the Season 1 shows with leading fan engagement, subscribes, and download count. And tonight, Drop Top Alibi from Toronto, Canada, the number one show for the Buzzer podcast for Season 1. The original broadcast aired March 16th. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Today, Toronto rock band Drop Top Alibi is on the show. Drop Top Alibi has a tough, loud, and wild sound that rips through you. They blend 70s classic riffs with 80s soaring vocals. Drop Top Alibi is a pure, timeless rock and roll band. We are joined by Brandon Gregory, who's lead singer, rhythm guitar, a founding member, and primary songwriter for the band, and Dylan Wikes, who plays lead guitar, provides backup vocals, is also a founding member, and started writing with Brandon in 2010. Uh, welcome, Brandon and Dylan. Yeah, thanks for having us, Shay. Yeah, thanks a lot. How's it going? Uh, going really good. Going really good. But we're handling the same weather, and it looks like spring Spring might be on the horizon, which is pretty cool. Yes, I'm into that. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I hate the winter. Okay. So we're here to talk about uh, two recent tracks and one that you released in uh, 2017. Really like your guy's sound. Um, tell me a bit about how the band formed and how you became, uh, you're well known uh, for a 70s and 90s classic riffs and 80s uh, incredible vocals, and they are incredible. Uh, can you talk about how you formed and how you just developed that sound? Well, thanks for all the, the compliments there. That's nice of you. Um, well, they're well deserved, man. You deserve it. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Again. Yeah, well, Dylan and I met, what, were we, like 17, 18, maybe? Yeah, just, just fresh out of high school. Yeah. We've been playing together for a long time, and we had a number of different bands and kind of had a revolving door in the rhythm section. Um, but around 2016, uh, we met Jeff Cox, who plays drums, and he was kind of in and out of the band for us, playing on records, doing runs with us live, and... Um, Long story short, after about you know six months of working with him, we we stumbled across Luke and everything clicked, and we kind of became the unit that Drop Top is in 2018. But we were able to use Jeff to record music with us prior to that, so it was it's kind of a weird sort of backstory. But Dylan and I have been writing together and playing together for I guess it's going on ten years now. <laughs> yeah, time flies. Wow. You just gave everybody your age. Huh? That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, you're still young. Yeah, still young. So, um, yeah, it's always a challenge to find a drummer, it seems. 
Yeah, it's hard to find good drummers and good bassists who want to play in the same project for 10 years. Like they're so, they know they can play with anyone they want to and people need them and want them. And it's, you know, diversity is a lot of fun when you're a, a live player. So, but it is what it is. And we got lucky. We were able to find these guys, everything clicked. And yeah, I mean, you know, barring, barring the year that COVID's been, I mean, it's been a lot of fun for the last four years while we've been doing it. Yeah. The year that wasn't COVID last year, <laughs> nothing happened. Uh, so tell me a bit about each your musical background. Like, how did uh, you guys start? Like, when did you first pick up an instrument? Why did you pick up that instrument? Uh, I started playing um, on my 13th birthday. I got a guitar for my birthday. And a fresh obsession for ACDC. I listened to every ah. song, every record, every dvd like i went through that for a full like two years and then i started to expand and then in high school i, I was in jazz bands and i was all sorts of stuff cover bands brand is probably pretty similar yeah i mean it was what it was for me was I, I was playing piano at the time my mom had put my sister and i into some lessons and then once i saw school of rock i was like oh wow who are all these bands you know led zeppelin became a big one um, ACDC, Black Sabbath. Um, and I just basically decided I wanted to be Zach Mooneyham. So I was able to switch instruments. And um, I guess I was about the same age. Yeah, maybe 13. And that's basically what it was cover bands, jazz bands, house bands, you know, and then start trying to write your own songs when you're 16 and play local shows and stuff, which were fun, but probably pretty terrible. And if I had to stand there now and listen to those bands, I'm sure it would be. Uh, <laughs> It'd be a little bit ear cringing, but it was a it was a hell of a good time, and it really helped us cut our teeth as young kids. So shout out to Jack Black and that whole crew for my for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, got house fans, you can't beat those gigs. Oh no, you can't beat, you can't beat them. But I can definitely see those uh, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. Uh, I can definitely see that in your music. Um, which legacy band would you consider the most influential to the way you write? Hmm. I don't know. What do you think, though? Um, I would probably say Soundgarden if I had to pick one. It's really oh. thick, heavy, heavy riffs. The vocals, I, I would say Brandon has a similar voice to, to Chris and like similar range. And we love, we kind of meld, we're a melding pot for all our influences, but I think the one that carries through is either Soundgarden or Alice in Chains. I think I'd have to pick. Uh, I can see that. I can see that. Two top bands as well. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, but if you're saying legacy bands, like we're talking like Forefathers, I mean, it's hard to pick between ACDC and Zeppelin. Because from like a production standpoint and a tone standpoint and a how to split the guitars up standpoint, Zeppelin taught us so much, but at the same time, that raw, just two guitar blazing saddles kind of riff rockage was ACDC's thing back in the day, right? Um, yeah. But because we are 90s babies, we got to grow up with bands like Soundgarden and Alice and uh, STP. And, you know, we, we like Drop D and we like uh, big open chords and loud soaring melodies. So you end up kind of sounding a little bit like Soundgarden meets Zeppelin meets Sabbath, which is basically what Soundgarden was anyways, right? So it's... 
Yeah, but you definitely have your own sound. But I challenge you on your comment. You you can't compare ACDC vocals to Led Zeppelin. Do you do you not see that? Yeah, I would say Robert Plant and uh, Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. Like, yeah, they're they're all doing very different things. Um, but I was taught as far as like you know riff rock goes, like. Uh, okay, like don't okay. Boris get to the chorus kind of rock and roll guitars like that was ACDC's thing Zeppelin had a lot more depth to their sound so when we when we just write like riffs for ourselves and for the bands it's like that's yeah, very ACDC influence for us like those kinds of riffs we're getting from those guys yeah definitely okay I can see that where you're coming from now it's just because you do lead guitars for drop top alibi I was thinking he was talking you were talking about vocals um, and uh, the screaming uh, Robert Plant. I don't know. He's pretty much in his own category. That's all. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's got yeah. a, a little more range than uh, than Bond did, and then Brian does, right? So, yeah. although I th- to throw a wrench in the conversation, my my favorite <laughs> singer of all time is Bon Scott. Yeah, Bon Scott's the man. He's, <laughs> oh, he's really? a great rock and roll Robert, singer. Robert Plant's amazing, and it's like Freddie Mercury, amazing. But like the for pure like I don't know sex appeal of like some gritty back backwater <laughs> Australian guy like his voice just sounds so good it's like a, a natural thing versus over a maybe a trained and extremely talented type of voice oh yeah Bond's the man the way you just snarl <laughs> riff riff <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome just yelling at awesome. everybody they actually like Steven Tyler went to bat for ACDC. Like the reason ACDC started getting so big in the States was because Steven Tyler refused to go on the big North American NFL football stadium tour in the late seventies, unless they could bring ACDC on stage with them. So like all that footage of ACDC with bond and like, you know, NFL stadiums and major league baseball stadiums that was opening for Aerosmith. So like, that's just when it, when, when Dylan says like, yeah, bond is like, like, quintessential just spit in your face rock singer like even the best of the best at the time knew that too and and went to bat for that band oh that's really cool i didn't know that you know tyler is my he's my guy okay like in terms of rock uh in terms of male vocals I, i he is the best in my mind out there and i never knew he supported uh i never knew that bit about history that's awesome Awesome to know. And he really started a movement, you know? Oh, yeah. Outstanding. So you guys are really heavy into the Toronto rock scene. What venues uh, stand out to you that you gigged at? Well, I think the, the better question is what venues are still open in Toronto that are, <laughs> that are the ones to talk about? Yeah. Okay, let's just let's just go back and take it. Because, uh, okay, uh yeah, fair enough. So for like for um, the rock scene in Toronto, I don't think for us it gets any better than Cherry Cola's. It's a it's a small oh, club yeah. off Queen and Bathurst. Like you can maybe fit 120 people in there. There's no yeah. windows. It's all red velvet walls, like beautiful wallpaper, mirrors everywhere. Cherish is the best host out of the whole city. Like I think a lot of people would tell you that. And oh yeah, it's a it's very intimate rock venue, and some of the like it's not unusual to find Jack White hanging out there when he's in town or stuff like that. It's it's kind of a little hole in the wall for uh, for the scene. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we we've cut our teeth there as a band as well. Like we 
did our first few kind of release shows at that venue. We we had a tribute band with a good friend of ours, Sweet Jewels. We actually were an Aerosmith and Zeppelin tribute band, and we'd throw a, a drop top set in the middle of it, and we'd play Saturday nights at Cherry's. And it wow. was full nights. It was, you know, like you said earlier, hard to beat the house band gigs. You actually get to play for four hours. It's great. Um, you know, the hideout was good to us, but they're, you know, rest in peace. Cherries is still kicking. Um, good. The horseshoe's still kicking. The bovine's still kicking. But the venue that's closest to this band is, is yeah, by far and away, it's Cherry Colas. Oh, that's awesome. So you put out Burn, uh, September 2017. Uh, tell me a bit about the song. Uh, well, it was it came together pretty quick. It was one of those songs where, like, you know, that main riff, that's like the chorus guitar riff, very busy, very fast riff. Um, you know, I came up with it one day, and it was just, it felt good. I was listening to a lot of Big Wreck at the time, and, um, you know, Ian Thornley's really good at writing these super fast kind of pentatonic riffs with, like, this sort of dance sway to it. And mm-hmm. I kind of was going for that when I started playing that main chorus riff and it ended up working. The pocket sat nice. And then I just kind of dumbed the riff down and made a verse, made a pre-chorus, kept that main riff as the chorus said, Hey Dill, I need you to rip a solo right around here. And, and the, the, the hook and the melody and the lyrics came together very quickly. Once, uh, once I brought it to rehearsal, uh, Dylan kind of tried this and that with the riff, changed a few notes to kind of give it a rotating sort of looping feel. And, um, and that was it. The song was done. We started playing it live. It went over very well. It was one of the first songs we recorded as a band. And um, it's, it ended up being the best song for this band so far. It's done the most for us. We got it on commercial radio. It's by far and away our best streaming song, uh, video and audio. So it's, uh, it's one of the good ones for sure. <laughs> it's a song that won't go away. <laughs> Song that won't go away because, <laughs> because you can dance to it, and it's about you know, and it's about a girl and whatever. And you either know that person or you are that person, and that's kind of that's it's a fun song that a lot of people seem to be able to vibe with in one way or another. Yeah, it is a song that you can vibe with. Well, next up, we're gonna listen to Burn. <laughs>
dancing, you're moving so fine. A beauty so sublime, it's almost divine. After all, tidy yourself can't compete. She's feeling the rhythm. I can see how this song is popular and remains popular. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate that. It's a good song. Yeah, we were lucky enough to have a bit of a revival. Uh, it would have been last year, 2019. It was rotating on radio for a little bit in, uh, in Southern Ontario. So it was, it was pretty good. The song came back, got a bunch more streams for us. and. Uh, when you're talking streams, talking Spotify? Yeah, or? Spotify, everything. Uh, yeah, Apple Music as well. Okay, great. So your new, newest releases uh, I'd like to talk about, uh, August 2020, reached a, a bit of heavier track than Burn. Um, I might be wrong about that, but it seems that heavier to me. Uh, the song was uh, Eyes for You. Mm-hmm. How's that song done? Uh, geez, Dill, when did we first start playing that tune? It was like 2017 or 2018, 2018 yeah. maybe. Yeah, we we never like played it, played it, but we actually like pre-proed it and demoed it a couple times, didn't we, back then? Yeah, it w- would have been. We were demoing it, and then I think when we had a bit of time off from some shows, we were we started to put it together in the rehearsal studio. I know Jeff was a huge advocate for that song for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's a song that kind of before Jeff joined full time. Um, yeah. we had a different drummer who was actually the gentleman who introduced us to Luke. Um, and I had the song and I, it was, you know, that chorus has been there since the beginning. It was one of the first parts of the song and I really liked it. Uh, and the riff was, you know, very nineties kind of rock feel and, you know, Dylan liked the space he had to sort of play. So we started trying to finish it. And we had this five and a half minute song that just kept going verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar, solo, verse, chorus. It's like, this seems very long and very mundane. So we demoed it out and we never used it. Um, and then once Jeff started being able to play with us again and again, and things worked out, he he, he was able to join again full time. Um, he was always an advocate, as Dylan said, for we should try to finish this song it's not finished and it's got a lot of potential so and we were all on board with it and we kept working at it and his sort of addition to the playing feel and and you know also his songwriting chops and whatnot we were like okay well we probably don't need this third verse here at the end we can probably come out of whatever this midsection is back into a big chorus ending we can probably throw you know a nice long guitar solo in there, maybe this, maybe that. And it, what was it about a year maybe of pre-pro Dylan? And then we finally were ready to cut it. Yeah. Yeah. We had that and a batch of other songs and we kind of did them all together. Yeah. Dylan sat there for like almost two full days on this song 
and a pedal board and he was sitting on his knees on the, on the floor and just turning knobs and just <laughs> flicking strings, not even hitting the notes of the song. He would just flick his strings and start <laughs> playing with knobs and stuff. And it's like, oh, that sounds cool. We can probably bury this, bury that. Like it was the song that we kind of spent the most attention to detail and like enjoyed our whole not having a pay by the hour setup we were working with at the time for the for the project. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was it was a good experience. And for me personally, you know, the producer we worked with, Michael Hansen, he's, you know, he's a vocals guy. Um, and he had some success in the 80s with Glass Tiger, um, you know, and he's done a lot since with songwriting. And and like I said, he's a vocals guy and he got really, really good takes out of me. That was by far and away the most exhausting vocal session I've had in the studio, but it went very, very well. Um, and we're super happy with it. And in the midst of the the crap storm that was the pandemic last year we released yeah. this song without any tour support which was new for us like it was a lot of bands and um and it did well it was it's been our best streaming song out of the gate um and it's still doing pretty well and we can't wait till we can throw it in our live set and play it yeah we're lucky our fans pretty like they pulled out for us and we, we definitely had our best streaming year on the back of not being able to, to play a stage. And if you ask anybody in this band, we are a live band first and foremost. Yeah. So mm. to have such a kind of a reach out on our streaming numbers was, uh, was awesome. Yeah. Huge shout out to everybody who's been following and supporting the band for sure. It got a lot of playlist love from people we know who just would throw it on their playlist and that, you know, it ends up on someone work, someone's workout list and it, and it helps us, you know, and we really appreciate everybody who helped us make this song what it was, despite us not being able to do what we normally do. <laughs> also, despite, you know, no help from uh, Spotify or Apple music. I know a lot of people get put on these official playlists and we did, we haven't been on anything. So it's all been independent and really yeah. that that's, I was, that blows my mind. Yeah, there's this like one. Your music, your music is good, guys. Oh, thank you. It's it's hard though. It's it's a, it's a vacuum, right? It's this huge wall of white noise. Anybody and everyone can submit to these playlists. You gotta. Yeah, that's these curators true. have to go through it, and and it's like anything. It's like radio now, right? Streaming is the main thing. You gotta. Back in the day, there's these huge. Well, even now, there's these huge radio tracker campaigns. Like, if you want a song in the top 100 in Billboard, your label better have a quarter million dollars. You know, like that's just how it is. Uh, and streaming is becoming that. So there's a lot of mid-level and high-level labels who are pushing their songs through. So if there's 100 spots on the list, you're really only going for about 30. And of those 30, you're going up against thousands and thousands and thousands of bands in the world who are independent but have these mm -hmm. viral songs with millions of hits on them. So every time they release yeah. a song they get a spot as they should. So it's, it's very hard to get onto those lists. Um, our buddies, Toronto band, the crooked, they got onto a, a Spotify cur curated playlist. I think what, two years ago, Dill. Yeah. Which was awesome to see. We were just like, and, and even then when I talked to their singer, JC, like had that happen, he's like, dude, it's, it was the most right place at the right time story ever. But guess what? They were there and the music did the talking and that's, that's how it goes. So we want to give a huge shout out to this. Um, there's a playlist curator named Beth Anderson. She's independent, but all her playlists have uh, like, you know, 20,000 plus likes and followers on them. And her playlists have been where 
Burn, Eyes for You, and our latest, Not Your Average Sunday Morning, the like the most traction have been off her playlist. And we're very grateful for her for helping us have our best streaming year in the middle of a pandemic. Well, that's awesome. And what is the name of her playlist? Is it Beth Anderson or? No, she has a number of them. Uh, I'd have to look at them. Um, I'd, I'd love to maybe send them to you afterwards and we can add it to the uh, to the episode. Um, oh, 100%. 100%. But, um, there's been a few different ones. One of them, I think, was called Party Vibe or Party Something. I don't know. And that was the one Burn was on. Um, and there was another like summer playlist one or whatever. But I'd have to look at what the names are. I'd love for you to send them to me. I'll add it to the uh, to the show. Cool. Yeah, that'd be great. I, anybody that supports uh, independent music is part of my fan club for sure. Oh yes, ours too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're gonna listen to Eyes for You next up.
So which studio in Toronto do you produce uh, your music? Well, uh, yeah. It depends on the song. <laughs> yeah, we've been to a number. We've recorded at uh, Metalworks for, for some of our earlier stuff. We There's a, um, there's a small studio in uh, like the Kipling area. Uh, it's called Loudmouse that we do a lot of stuff at. Yeah, that place okay. is great. And we've worked in some home studios and all over the place, really. Yeah. We did, actually, we we did the beds for our first EP up at our rehearsal space in Aurora, like about 45 minutes north of Toronto there. I used so, to live in Aurora. <laughs> oh, right on. So, you know, yeah, yeah we, were right, we were right by the go tracks there in the, the automotive yeah. yard. There's a girl up downstairs. We're not sure if it's legal or not, but it's there. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I was born, bred, and raised in Toronto. Uh, I spent my childhood in Brampton, but uh, Toronto's uh, my hometown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me and yeah. Yeah, yeah, we both grew up yeah. in Brampton, too. We're both no born way. there, yeah. Which school? J.A. Turner or Centennial? Uh, I was on the other side of town. I actually went to Aquinas, but my dad went to Centennial, and so did my uncle. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, I, I spent, I was in Brampton until I was 14. I went to high school in Mississauga. Oh, that's interesting. A lot of people come out, <laughs> come out of Brampton. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I was, uh, I lived there until I went to university. And then from there, I didn't turn back. I wanted to stay in Toronto. But now I live in farm country in rural Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh your November release, uh, Not Your Average Sunday Morning. I love the track. I, I, actually, that's my favorite of three. Oh, thank uh, you. Although they're all great. Um, what's the message behind that? So the the beginning part of the song, like my inception with it was to kind of play with the... Uh, when you talk to producers and you talk to record people, they're kind of like, where's the hook? You haven't started singing within the first 10 seconds of the song. What's going on? Yeah. So we're like, you know what? We're going to start it off with a nice hook. Kind of like, a, and then when we make the twist, it's almost as if the song goes into our vein of things. We've given you what you want, yeah. but we're not we're not participating in that. This is our song now. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. It, um, it was very tongue-in-cheek-like. And um, it actually, New Year's Eve heading into 2019... Uh, I was at home getting, you know, killing time before I was going to head to the party where Dylan was. And I just started playing this riff. And for some reason, I was thinking about Lenny Kravitz. And I was just like, how am I going to try to write a song like how Lenny Kravitz would write a song? And I started strumming the chords that ended up being the intro. I kind of turned my phone demo on because I felt something coming on and pressed voice record and just started ski bopping a verse. And that's what the intro ended up being. And then I just was like, okay, well, now what? Well, we might as well just drop into this heavy riff for some reason. And I just started playing a random riff, and it ended up being uh, a decent amount of what the main riff of the song ended up becoming. And I kind of sat there with it, started playing around with it, decided I wanted to go 12-bar blues somehow. And I started. I showed Dylan at the party, and he was just like right away like, oh, man, and started all his wheels were turning. He thinks about this big, you know what, man, we should, we should, you know, record this super poppy intro, like how you wrote it. And then just like say, fuck you and kick into this big, like <laughs> drop and we should just do it, man. And we, and then, and then we did it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Is that, is that how your creative process goes? Like do you two 
a banner back and forth? And uh, are you the primary uh, composers? I would say Brandon's definitely the primary composer. Um, we definitely, I'd say it's a song to song thing. Brandon will call me, send me a demo. That's, that's, that's probably how it generally starts with a, with a call from Brandon being like, hold on, listen to this, puts the phone down, plays me the guitar riff. And I'm sitting eating dinner with my with my family listening to this riff, <laughs> uh, and then uh, you know it gets brought to the band, and maybe maybe me and Brandon will work on something together. He'll work on something on his own, or the four of us will do something together. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's generally not a one uh, one method type of band. It got a lot more collaborative once Jeff joined full time. Um, because all four of us all of a sudden had writing chops. Like Luke's actually got a good ear for arrangement and for kind of like, ah, I need a part here. I need 16 bars. And Luke just sits there and starts fumbling around the bass and it actually works and we go with it. So once we became the four piece that we are, it became a much yeah. more collaborative effort. Um, and I stopped trying to arrange full songs by myself. I would get the song kind of a minute and a half, two minutes of the way through, unless I, you know, a bridge idea came right away, I would usually just put it down and leave it. I would record it, remember it, leave it, knowing that I'm going to have three other people thinking about it in the next few days. And um, it's been a lot easier to write that way. And we've started writing better and better tunes as well. Do you have any releases coming out? Well, it's a little challenging right now because we've been kind of in and out of lockdowns, right? Things haven't been the most consistent. Um, We were just about to start pre-production on about a dozen songs, and then we were going to sit on them, write another, you know, 10 or 12 songs and demo those and choose a record from that. Um, That's where we are. We've been sitting on a lot of material. um, And when things have been better, we've been able to consistently get together. Um, and we've got all the time in the world. So we've been very slowly and efficiently and effectively writing and we're getting all the songs to exactly where we want them to write down to how, what the tones are and everything. And we were mm-hmm. just about ready to start demoing them so we can actually hear them back. And then we got hit with this Christmas lockdown. So we are hoping that by the end of this year, there's something at least done, but we really have no idea when we're going to be able to finish. Yeah, because you want to have it uh, end up with uh, you being able to tour it, right? Well, that and also, and like for sure, for release time, absolutely. But the logistics of just executing it, like if for whatever reason we have to go into a third lockdown, like an April, May thing, kind of like last year. Yeah. I mean, it'll be July before we start tracking. Then we have to finish, which will probably, if we do eight to 10 songs, will probably take at least a month. You know, if we did like three straight weeks or something, um, you know, and then you got to mix all that and then you got to master it. Then you got to figure out how you want to release it. So we stand by, we're demoing right now and we're very excited about what we're cooking up. And uh, what we have been doing is cooking up ideas to kind of get more playful with our social media. And we're going to be playing a lot of our new music on our social media over the next few months. And we're hoping to involve people in the pre-pro process because everyone who we have had the pleasure of speaking to lately wants to hear new music. And we were just about to queue it up. And then, you know, last spring happened the way it did. Right. Wow. 
that's awesome. Make sure you tag me on all those. Oh, for sure. The percussion is the engine of, of any band, right? So to have somebody involved, uh, it certainly would help the creative process, right? Absolutely. And there's vocal talent. All four of us can really? sing, you know, once Jeff and Luke yeah. joined in. Oh, oh yeah. So now there's, me- so there's melody, there's melody abilities coming from everyone now. And it's, it's really been nice. It's really been nice. Who's the fourth member? Jeff Cox. Oh, Jeff Cox. Our drummer. Ah, I called him Luke. Why didn't you just call me out on it, guys? <laughs> well, you're right. Luke is the other member besides Jeff. <laughs> so. I'm sorry. I, I, I mentioned the wrong number. Okay. So tell us a bit about Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Jeff is the probably your quintessential session guy for a long time he's been in bands he's plays covers he's probably the most rock hard solid drummer i know and the guy can sing he's a stud and he i think he knows it a bit that's why he's got attitude (laughs) Uh, that's a pretty cool description what about luke Luke's kind of the same, but almost the exact opposite. He was this kid who we, not kid, but, you know, it felt that way back then. Um, you know, we we met this guy through our recording session with Gilby at Metalworks, and he ended up playing drums for us for a bit, and his friend Luke Ricci is this bass player, and we needed a bass player because the guy who played played bass on our first EP was a session guy, a standing guy, a buddy of mine. And... Um, Literally, he showed up to the first rehearsal that he he came out to, and it was just this guy who's obsessed with Flea, who's never really played in a band, but his bass chops are incredible, and he has a great ear for making it a melodic part of the song, which Dylan and I were kind of spoiled because we, you know, first bassist that Dylan played with in this band, you know, did a stint with Protest the Hero two years ago. And then the guy who came in after him studied at Humber for a few years. So when we needed a, a new player, it was like, well, man, we kind of need more than like, uh, you know, what's that ACDC bass player's name? The guys who just hold it down four notes a song. It's like, we don't, we don't want that. So when we met Luke, we were very lucky. And on top of the fact that he's just this kid who sat in his, you know, his dorm room while he was at school playing bass for five years never joined a band and now he was here and wanted to join our band. We're like, okay, yeah. And on top of that, he's super nice guy, studly guy, six foot two Italian guy. You know, it's like, shit. Yeah. You look good on stage. Come on board. (laughs) You want to do this? (laughs) And honestly, that that first year that he was in the band, he totally watched him come out of his shell on stage. And and by the end of it, now if you go see us, he's by far probably the most entertaining person to watch on stage. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he attracts the groupies. (laughs) <laughs> he, does. But... He, he does but he's a good man let me say that but uh it's not uncommon and, and there's been a few times where i've uh i've walked by at the moment where you know said groupie would shoot her shot and luke would just shut them down every oh, cool. time but some of the things that i heard these women say to luke i just like <laughs> like a couple times i walked by and luke actually heard me go <laughs> <laughs> But I don't blame him. Hey, if I was, 
I, you know, I'd shoot my shot too. That's for sure. Yeah, you only have one <laughs> shot in life, right? Why not? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're going to listen to "Not Your Average Sunday Morning" next. great uh, backstory about the song and uh, interesting um, uh, collaborative process the band does but uh, when you put out your videos are they uh, self-produced or do you work with a, uh, a team they've all been collaborative efforts like we haven't actually shot anything ourselves and tried to edit ourselves but we've geez Dylan has have any of the videos been shot by the same person twice I don't think no. so right no. yeah we, you know, we've worked with people in the past, and it this doesn't mesh quite as well as we'd like it. And then ends up being a little artsier than we first yeah, anticipated. And shooting music <laughs> videos is outrageously expensive. 
yeah, yeah like three be. grand a video. So for an indie <laughs> band, like it's it's hard to justify like forking out that kind of money, you know, instead of going to do other stuff with it. So or just figuring out a different way to shoot, you know. But the thing is, is if you you try to collaborate with anybody worth their weight in gold and the gear they have or the skills they have, like if they've worked as a DP or if they're in film school or whatever, you know, for them to bring out someone to help with props and for to rent and whatever, you're looking like at at least 2000. So unless you want to totally DIY it um, or just do lyric videos, it's, it's expensive to do any way you, you try to cut it. And, um, We've gotten a lot better at doing our own stuff, but it's made us want to be a lot simpler for now because we're, you know, I, I get the whole people who listen with their eyes thing these days, but it also feels like social media and Instagram and maybe the impact of this pandemic as well and how much people have been immersed in social media lately, you know, attention spans aren't that long. So I'm really not like personally not interested in spending money to create this visual for a three and a half minute thing. Uh, when we can just really push for the for the streaming numbers and make snippety fun visual content for our social media you know what i mean and that's way cheaper it's way easier to do um and you know videos seem to be really important for a while like even like when we first released burn and that whole ep like geez i'm pretty sure three songs on that first ep of the four had videos yeah <laughs> you know and now and now we're just like whatever we did a really we did a you know a, a good video for summer nights we did a lyric video for take it all in stride and we did a lyric video for eyes for you mm -hmm. and we got something in the works for sunday morning you know you can really see how our priorities and how you know, the music industry and how people consume stuff changed in just a few years, you know? Well, if, if, if uh, produced with a purpose, uh, having a video on Facebook, uh, uh, the quality's there. Um, uh, I, I would say if you have a strong fan following, that's probably the best bet. From a media perspective, because uh, you guys know that I'm in media, uh, I like to see that uh, a band has a video, uh, especially mm -hmm. on YouTube, because it's easily shareable. But honestly, the lyric videos is all you need. Yeah, oh, yeah. the lyric videos is all you need, and the band needs to put the proper credit, all the credits on the YouTube video. So if somebody uh, happens upon your song on Facebook, uh, because it's becoming a go-to for a lot of people, especially you're trying to find raw talent. Uh, if they go to your corresponding YouTube video, uh, if, as if they can find something that's quick, shareable, they can put on their blog, and they can properly give credit where credit's due, even if it's self-produced, uh, put it there. Uh, that, that's, yeah. that's all you need right now. That's all you need. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's all we've been doing. So it's uh, it's good that um, we seem to have it right. It was great. Once I told Dylan, hey, we're not going to do any more videos, he was like, thank God. I'm trying to get this guy in front of a camera and, and like not look upset about it. <laughs> Pictures are fine, but when you're like, hey, pretend. I'm like, I'm not an actor, man. I'm a musician. Two different things. When you hand me a guitar, you're like, pretend to play. There's no music in the background, but you got to be looking like you're intense and you're in it. And I'm like, and you look and there's a small crowd around your shoot and there's people walking their dogs watching. And I'm here like head banging like a crazy person <laughs> with the guitar and there's no music. It's just a guy with a camera being like, okay, 
turn your head left. <laughs> no, it's not my thing. Yeah, I can see that. I don't like being on uh, video or get my hip uh, photo shot. Actually, when I was a kid and hadn't matured yet, I thought when people took my a picture that they were stealing my energy. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. wouldn't allow my uh, picture to be taken when I was a kid. It's pretty, pretty odd, but I was an odd kid. <laughs> Grew up to be an odd adult. So no, I, I really think your band's following the best format. And I do agree with you. It's just really hard to be for if you're into the music and that's what you want to do and you don't, you're not comfortable being filmed. It might not be the best format for the band. Yeah. Right. At this point, yeah. like you know, we'll, we're professional about it. I'll, I'll show up and do my bit, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm kind of camera shy, I guess you you could call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I am. <laughs> so where's the band most active? Like if they were to follow you, I'm um, assuming it's Facebook if you're putting out videos there. Uh, Are Instagram. you talking about oh, Instagram? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Everything gets shared to Facebook as well, but the most we generally share to Instagram first. And your so, your handles at Drop Top Alibi, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, Drop Top Alibi, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, your the music you're putting out there is outstanding. Like the band, you definitely have a future ahead of you in music. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Shay. Hopefully we can uh, get back on the road sooner than later and uh, and start to have some fun again. Well, thank you all for tuning in to the Buzzer Podcast Network. Season two begins soon. The Buzzer Podcast will wind down season one of both programs. The top episodes of season one will start airing September the 6th. These are the season one shows with leading fan engagement, subscribes, and download count. The gratitude I have for the remarkable artists who share their music on the Buzzer Network is over the moon. To our loyal listeners, thank you for tuning in and being a powerful part of our achievement. Because of you, the Buzzer Podcast is top 10% of the most popular shows out of over 2.6 million podcasts ranked by Listen Score. Follow us on Instagram at The Buzzer Media and on Twitter at The Buzzer Indie. Subscribe, please, at thebuzzerpod.com. Without you, none of what we do is possible. Listen in and remember, without music, our canvas is blank. On-air indie, from iPad to yours, over the airways. Until next time, cheers, y'all.